0: The Start. On Demand. demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Monday edition of the podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We had September snow over the weekend. We'll speak with Environment Canada about that miserable fact, as well as that tornado that ripped through Ottawa on Friday night. It's Rail Safety Week. We're going to speak with an executive from CN on some of the cool stuff that came out of Manitoba as it pertains to Rail Safety Week. And we'll also check in with how grain transportation is doing for the season. We'll speak with Global's Reggie Cicchini about the United Nations, Donald Trump, Justin Trudeau in New York for the gathering. Churchill High School in Winnipeg is trying to launch a high school hockey team consisting of all grade nines and Hockey Manitoba is saying, no way. So we'll get the side of the story from Hockey Manitoba, from the Winnipeg High Schools Association, as well as the high school itself. We'll talk to the principal. And we want to introduce you, or maybe reintroduce you, to a couple of wonderful and hilarious ladies who own a business in Transcona called the Painter's Cafe. We first met them over a year ago, and we loved them, and many of You loved them and we thought it would be good to check in with them to see how they're doing as they have just celebrated their first anniversary. Let's start this hour with snowmen in September. They were building them in many parts of southern Manitoba this weekend, and that makes me mad. <laughs> and when Brett gets mad, Brett smash. <laughs> yeah, well, the snow. white
1: stuff was coating lawns. It was coating trees. Like, all the trees in my neighborhood haven't even lost their leaves yet. And yet here we are talking about snow. And yeah, sure, we, we're used to bad weather in Manitoba. but I First day of fall? First day of fall was like a bad joke. Dave Phillips is the senior climatologist with Environment Canada and joins us on the phone now. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, Dave.
2: Good morning guys. Nice to be with you.
1: So we're all gl- grumbling.
2: What a what a country. Tornadoes in the east and, and snow in the west. Hey, don't we live in the biggest country of the world? <laughs> I was just
1: saying we were all we were all grumbling here that we can't you know, I know we do and we have seen snow in September. It's not technically yes. unusual, but it really did feel like A a lot on Saturday and B way too early.
2: You know, Lauren, you're right. I mean, it is is—it uh, is just, it's more of a strike to the psyche than anything else. It's not as if you've been buried in it, uh, although, my gosh, people in Branton had eight centimeters of snow on Saturday. I mean, that's the heaviest amount of snow in September they've ever had, so uh, that's a bit unusual. But And you've had maybe, oh, I would, maybe a flake or two in Winnipeg, but there's been no accumulation, not even a trace. And uh, But it is still something that we, we come to the fall, we go from, from spring, wet we don't want to go to slush Uh, we want to have that kind of fall where we have free energy time no heat on no air conditioning on and uh, kind of get prepared for the winter but uh, we certainly have seen because of some cold air from the arctic and a couple of weather systems in the united states got close to the border and we had that combination that produced some uh, some good amounts of snow in parts of alberta and a little bit in saskatchewan and of course in southwestern manitoba
3: So David, I moved to Calgary a couple different times. The first time it was in 1991 and September 14th, they had snow. I could not believe it because I'd never seen that in my lifetime. And they were actually cleaning the streets with street cleaners, street sweepers versus plows. And so that was the first shock. And so I always bug Alberta and and Calgary. And and when I moved back there uh, in early or late 1999, it's like, okay, come on, don't give me a hard time being from Winnipeg because. We don't get snow in July, August, and September. But this was just on the heels of sort of this announcement. That we were hearing we we're going to have this nice, easy transition from summer to fall and not to anticipate any sort of early winter. You're baiting us over there. What's going
2: on, David? Well, listen, you know, it's not like when we issue the seasonal forecast, one of the hardest things is to convince people that this is not a forecast for 91 days in a row. This is a <laughs> forecast for, hey, come the end of November when we crunch our numbers and we'll say, hey, was it warmer than normal or was it colder than normal? It was warmer than normal. We said it was going to be warmer than normal hey we won one uh, i wouldn't bet the family farm on whatever uh, we say about a seasonal forecast it's a little bit hey, it, it's a it's tough in this country but you can have these little surprises and you know for me guys i think i would much rather have you know a little kind of a of a teaser uh, to remind you that winter is coming we've never canceled winter in this country so get the snow tires put away the lawn furniture and you don't want to get uh, 35 centimeters of snow in uh, in september uh, Day because uh, you're going to be buried in it. Now, hey, in the West, they're not going to be skiing on this snow. This is not your white Christmas kind of snow. It'll be, it'll be gone. It's just kind of nature's way of reminding us of hey, where we're headed.
0: Is there any? Like typically, what happens in September? Uh, it seems yep. that it warms up a little bit moving into the beginning yep. of October. Last year on September twenty second, it got up to nineteen degrees. This year, I think it only got up to eight. Um, are we going to see that that late September warm up?
2: Well, you know, I, I would say that you get you will get it. I mean, you you can never. I uh, you could you certainly will have frost of the pumpkin. You might have uh, certainly your first uh, 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 amount of snow in October. That's that's. Often in the cards I mean last year uh, I think you had to you you went almost to uh, uh, to to November uh, uh, maybe before you got a a first uh, a first amount of snow that uh, created any concern so this is the kind of a time where you get you know two or three days of maybe good days followed by two or three days of bad day. So it's sort of a struggle. It's winter wants to grab hold of you, and, and summer wants to hold on. So it is a kind of pickle, fitful kind of a, of a period, and we just have to accept it. So what I, I, just, I do, guys, is that I play hooky or book off sick when I go to a good day at this time of the year. And then, you know, you go for it. You don't sort of say, well, you wake up Monday and say, well, Thursday looks like a good day. Let's go for it. No, no, no. You you strategize by going when the weather is good at your at at the moment. So that's how I would handle the the next little bit, but hey, I would guarantee that you're going to get some some good. Not maybe a muscle shirt tank top kind of weather, but I think that you will get some uh, some decent days ahead of you.
1: We're talking a bit about, you know, how we felt it was unusual to get this snow in September. And then in Ontario, you have that tornado, two tornadoes working their way through Ottawa. It felt like that came late in the season season. Is that abnormal to see those size of storms, Dave?
2: Lauren, it is. You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, we've never had an EF three. This would be a 265 kilometer per hour winds. It was the top of a an EF three. Hey, wasn't the most ferocious tornado in Canada this year? That occurred in Manitoba with a 280 kilometer per hour. It killed a person. um, In I think it was in July, and so. But you know, we are the second most tornado prone country in the world. But we've never ever seen an EF three. That would be 200 to 220 to 265 kilometer per hour winds that would occur in September, usually in July or June, August, early August, but but certainly not at this time of the year. The last day of summer and a family of tornadoes, so some wild weather. And it hit a not just a you know a, a woodlot or, or a, a remote area. This was uh, really a suburb uh, of Ottawa, so it, it created of course uh, uh, a,
0: a lot of damage. David Phillips, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Okay, guys. Bye-bye now. So right now in studio with us, we have Sean Finn, who is CN Executive Vice President, Corporate Services and Chief Legal Officer. on the Well, we want to talk about a couple of things, but first we want to talk about Rail Safety Week, uh, which is happening across North America. Sean Finn, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Great to be back. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for stopping by to visit us. So uh, as, in terms of Rail Safety Week, is there something in particular that's special to Manitoba?
4: Yeah, absolutely. This is a week that goes on... Uh, Across North America, we'll have events uh, in most of our terminals and also in just in every community we can in Canada. But more importantly, this year, it's the first time that uh, the province of Manitoba uh, passed a law called the Rail Safety Awareness Week, which is the first such law in Canada. So even though towns historically have passed resolutions supporting Railway Safety Week, uh, the great province of Manitoba is the first province, first legislature in Canada, including the federal government, to pass uh, essentially a law that encourages people to be aware of it. And I think uh, the message this morning is we all have responsibility when it comes to railway safety. It's a joint responsibility. And our job is to raise awareness. We all realize that, you know, the railway is part of our community, but we have to make sure that around the railways we're safe, our families are safe, our kids are safe, and uh, we all have a role to play to make sure we do so. So this week it's we're raising awareness and Most Canadians and communities about the importance of making sure that we're we're safe around the railway installations, both in Canada and the U.S.
1: You know, I grew up in a small town, and so the railway, and I live in a small town just south of Winnipeg. So you're very used to the sound in the middle of the night and the trains coming and going and all the rest. And so in some ways, it seems obvious to me that we'd be talking to our kids about what you're supposed to do before you cross those tracks. Yet, I feel, how many near misses do you have each year with people who almost were hurt, let alone hurt, because they just didn't pause long enough?
4: Yeah, Lauren very well said. You know the message is when you get to a crossing, you stop, you look, and you listen. Pretty basic rule, not that complicated. But unfortunately, we still have way too many injuries and fatalities. The number one cause of injuries or fatalities on the railway is at railway crossings or trespassing. And it's important that you know all of us realize that uh, you know a train can't stop very quickly. It takes uh, you know it takes a long time to stop. Uh, it's always going faster than it looks is very another issue. And I think uh, all of us be aware of our surroundings around the railway tracks, but we have responsibility together to make sure that, you know, we raise the awareness when the ha- in parents and with kids about the importance of when you are interacting with the railway line, you must do so in a safe fashion. And, you know, often when we have unfortunate incidents, I try to explain to people, in addition to very, you know, we have victims on the ground, but also I have two victims in the cab. I have a mom and dad who are conductors or engineers on the track uh, in the locomotive. They know they can't stop you know, for a long distance of time and, and they can see what's coming at them. So I mean, all of us have to do a better job making sure that uh, that uh, we're safe around the railway tracks and we have a responsibility to make sure that our employees, you know, do so also in a safe fashion.
3: Is it safe to say we have a love-hate relationship at times with the railway? We know how good it is for our economy, especially in this community, uh, Transcona, amongst other parts, Weston uh, parts, uh, other com- parts of our community that have grown up around the railroad and those incredible jobs that that are created in in our city. And then this whole idea of how it can affect traffic, and one that I know drives a lot of people crazy, and just getting a text message, this idea of when the horns. <laughs> are blowing, even at a controlled intersection. So maybe you could talk about that because, Loren, you mentioned Minidosa and how the, the main line runs right through the middle of town. Well, I used to own a building three doors down from the main line and my tenants, do they have to blow a horn in the <laughs> middle of the night? Because that literally would shake the building.
4: Yeah, very good comment. Obviously, you know, I would hope that uh, we have more love than hate relationships across Canada. I know in Winnipeg, obviously, you know, we've been here for many, many years, and we've always had a very good rapport With the citizen of Winnipeg, our training center is based in Transcona, so we have a national training center where every single employee from CN uh, who's being trained to become a conductor or an engineer will transition to the training center where we talk about safety every day. There's no doubt that, you know, uh, we're not perfect. We have good days and bad days, but uh, I think the way to look at it is when we do blow a horn or we whistle, it's because either there's something on the track or we're at a crossing, That's a safety issue. So obviously, you know, we want to make sure that uh, people know the train is coming and we take for granted that the trains might have schedules. They don't have schedules. They can move at any time. So again, I think that uh, there are ways to mitigate the horn. Towns can ask for a mitigation, but, you know, we're always a bit concerned when we do that to make sure that uh, the citizens who have been used to going over that, that, that crossing for 50 or 60 years and expect the train to blow, all of a sudden we stop blowing the horn and, you know, we get into problems. So we have to do a better job interacting together and I think we've made a big effort And I must say, uh, the city of Winnipeg would be very successful. Uh, You know, we're still not perfect. And once in a while, we block a crossing. But I think to your point, uh, if I can get people to realize that, you know, when they see a train, crossing a CN train, I have two locomotives, which we own. I have two employees in the cab, but the cars behind the train, often we don't own the cars, but more importantly, the content is not our freight. It's our customer's freight. It's Canada's economy going, getting to market. So I think we'll have to be a bit patient about this, but we have to understand that that's part of how we move our goods to to market. And Canada, you know, is an exporting country and how we move these goods is important.
0: Now, while we've got you here, should probably ask, and you can get more information, by the way, on Rail Safety Week at cn.ca, including on how to apply to be a rail safety ambassador. But uh, grain transportation, how's it going so far this fall?
4: Yeah, we're long, we've worked very hard to make sure we're ready compared to last year. So this September, we're in a better position. Uh, the crop has come off in parts of Western Canada a bit earlier, so we've started to move it already. Uh, we're meeting the orders we have to meet as we speak today. Uh, we hired 1,200 new uh, locomotive conductors, which are on the property, we're willing to work. We've ordered uh, new locomotives. So we enter the, the more difficult operating season, to avoid the use, using the word winter, uh, you know, as we get into it, we're going to be prepared, hopefully better than last year. And we're all very focused. And the CEO, all the way down to any conductor we have on the property, we want to make sure we move that grain and all of our customers' goods and try and avoid... The problem we have last year. One of our challenges is obviously, you know, the grain moves when the market wants it to move. We don't grow the grain; we move it. Uh, farmers and the grain companies will decide when it goes to market. Our job is to be ready. But obviously, when we have capacity, the last two weeks we've had uh, a lot of capacity. Some of it wasn't used. Uh, and our challenge is to make sure people realize when you don't use that capacity in September, you can't regain it in February when you, when it's a lot more difficult to operate. So we're well prepared. And hopefully uh, as we get into it, uh, we have tabled a grain plan with our customers and the federal government back in July. And this week we filed a winter plan. So we're going to have a plan explained to Canadians and grain farmers and our customers how we intend on moving this crop through the winter. And uh, you know we're optimistic that we'll do a good job, but uh, you know we don't control everything yet. But we're working very hard at it.
1: There was a month-long backlog for many producers last year and farmers. So are more trains on the track, more cars. What what have? If-
4: yeah, a combination of uh, of uh, more locomotives first of all, secondly uh, more employees to move the trains. We have purchased 1,000 new grain cars, and more importantly, we invested quite a bit of capital in the Winnipeg-Edmonton corridor, which was a difficult corridor last winter. So to answer your question, we're entering the season better prepared. Will we drop a bad week once in a while? Most likely. But uh, to answer your question, I think we are better prepared, and the burden's on us to make sure that uh, when that grain wants to move, we're, we're there to do so.
0: All right, Sean Finn, CN Executive Vice President, Corporate Services and Chief Legal Officer, here to talk about Rail Safety Week, which is kicking off across North America. Again, you can get more information on that at cn.ca. Thanks so much for the visit. We appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Go Jets, go. McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. And Greg, right now we're going to talk United Nations.
3: Yes, the world is gathering in New York City. We've seen uh, pictures, moving pictures, video, I guess you would call it, of Donald Trump <laughs> arriving at the United Nations. And I could what only do you call it I call it I call it the moving the, the, the moving pictures. It's a motion picture. Yeah, a motion picture, say. Um Reggie Cicchini is in Oh, Washington. And Reggie, uh, what's happening at the United Nations this week? This is uh, the General Assembly where leaders from around the world uh, get to gather and speak in front of other leaders from around the world.
5: Yeah, this is the yearly event where they all kind of come together. They all take global crisis issues, issues that are affecting themselves in their own countries, and their neighboring countries. They try to come to terms with things, try to deal with things, try to get some resolutions on things. It's it's a yearly event, and, you know, we're, we're expecting many things to come out of this, but a lot of eyes are still focused on Donald Trump. He was kind of a polarizing figure last year when he was talking about North Korea and calling Kim Jong-un rocket man. We're waiting to see if he's come full circle yet, whether he's going to be a little bit bombastic, if he's going to be a little bit more subdued. Uh, Justin Trudeau and the Canadian Cathedral, contingency also in new york for this so there's a whole bunch of things that are going to come up over the next couple of days
1: it's interesting because u.s president donald trump really hasn't put much stock in the united nations doesn't really seem to see their value and yet here he is you know doing doing this annual speech does that play into it at all in his own personal opinions on
5: just what merit it has in the first place? Well, I mean, he did put that tweet out on Friday that basically says, you know, the United Nations isn't living up to its its name. It doesn't really come to any resolutions on things. It always surprises him when he sees that the UN isn't actually getting anything done. But at the end of the day, look, he just held a summit this morning about uh, a global call to end drug use around the world. And about 100 nations showed up for this event that the president was saying. So he may have a whole bunch of negative things to say about the UN, but the US still holds a pretty tight grip over how things can operate. Is it possible that Trump will meet with uh, Kim Jong-un? Well, Kim jong un's not expected to be at this, uh, at this um, uh, gathering. We thought that maybe the president would extend an invite. He didn't do it. However, he is expected to hold a bilateral meeting today with South Korea's president, and that is where he's expected to be handed a note that was written by Kim Jong-un a couple of weeks ago, handed to the South Korean uh, um, uh, president, and that's going to be given to Trump today. Trump spoke about it this morning, saying, look, there's a letter that's coming to me. It's going to be really nice. Our relations are getting bigger and better and stronger every day. So, you know, it's, it's a lot different than what he said about North Korea last year, although the day is very young and anything could happen within the next couple of hours.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I like uh, that caveat you placed on it all there, Reggie. Uh, Justin Trudeau, of course, will be
5: representing Canada as well. What do we expect from the Prime Minister? So the Prime Minister's got a couple of events that he's holding today. He's actually not going to be speaking to the General Assembly. He's going to leave that to Christopher Freeland. NAFTA negotiations are likely to be kind of held on the sidelines. Both Christopher Freeland and uh, the U.S. Ambassador Robert Lighthizer are expected to be at the meetings for the first couple of days. So there will be some kind of off-the-record, on-the-record conversations happening on the sidewalks and in the meeting rooms, not kind of in big public areas. Uh, Canada's big thing that they're trying to do is secure a temporary two-year seat on the Security Council. They're up against a big fight right now between North Norway and ireland it's likely that the eu is going to vote as a bloc so canada likely not going to get this they're gonna to have to sit out another couple of years before they can apply for another term but that's what canada's big goal is right now on top of trying to kind of push global uh, uh strength and economic strength and better ties with trade around the world
1: are trump and trudeau expected to meet at all were everyone waiting for that uh, nafta deal to officially be signed any word that they'll get together
5: So in the official White House press uh, communication that came out, there's no bilaterals between Canada and the U.S., at least Trump-Trudeau style. I mean, anything can happen. Any leader can kind of pull any leader aside at any point during this thing. So it is a possibility over the next few days it could happen. I think with these NAFTA negotiations ongoing, Krista Freeland's going to do what she can to smooth things over and make some of the rhetoric that the Trump administration has been spewing over the last couple of weeks, try to simmer some of that down. If something comes up, I mean, it'll be kind of unexpected and we'll all be sitting there watching, waiting to see what they have to see to each other as of now though no meeting between the two
3: hey reggie how many new yorkers plan their holidays around this annual event the traffic in manhattan over the next several days is going to be absolutely nightmarish with all the cavalcades and different dignitaries and they're and they're uh, making their way from different locations crisscrossing the city
5: It's a nightmare. I mean, we were there last year and our hotel was actually inside the perimeter. So, I mean, just to be able to get in and out of the doors of the hotel, we had to show kind of a strings worth of of ID that we were holding. For the most part, the entire area, the neighborhood's called Turtle Bay. It's completely evacuated. Nobody's allowed on the streets. And I mean, it kind of makes sense because every time somebody like the president comes by, he's got a jammer jammer truck with him. So it shuts down all your cell phone signals as they're driving by. So anybody who is in the area can't actually get any work done because you lose all of your cell service. Have you ever been caught in that uh, wave? Uh, yeah, I was actually doing a hit last year with one of the core stations, and I was sitting there on the phone, and then I lost all of my reception because the president went by. So, I mean, it gives you something to talk about. It's just really frustrating, which is why most people get out of there. Hey, maybe
3: that's why the cell service in Winnipeg is so bad. Maybe Donald Trump is here way more often than we think, and there's just drama trucks driving around all over.
0: <laughs> hey, Reggie Giacchini, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you. 856 on 680 CJOB. We heard earlier... Uh, from Environment Canada, talking about this uh, September snow. And he was saying, well, I mean, look, uh, you know, we we know we the seasonal forecasts that we issue, they're n- it's not meant to be a 90-day exact forecast. and he sometimes said don't get surprised. bet on them,
1: actually. Do not ever bet on our 90-day 90 90 day forecast, which I suppose is fair.
0: I just I hope it gets a little bit better. better. I was able to sneak out uh, for a quick round of golf on Friday. Uh, I usually go out to Kingswood and LaSalle, but I went out to Bridges and Starbuck which yeah, is just, just a lovely course. I especially like playing it in the fall, but it was so disappointing as I was driving out there because it was cloudy when I left. And then when I was on highway two, as I was driving out, the sun was shining and like, and like a lot of it, a lot of blue sky. And then somehow, as soon as I pulled into the lot, disappeared and gone for the rest of the day. Boo.
3: Yeah. Boo. I was just thinking about guns and roses, their song, November rain, mm. Brent Fitz and Todd Kearns, uh, traveling with slash right now from guns and roses. Maybe they could, uh, craft, a A song for us in Manitoba, September snow.
1: (laughs) I blame myself. I put, I don't know why in a fit of energy Saturday took all the shorts out of the closet and put them away for the winter because I was like, I won't be needing these again.
3: I was looking for someone to blame. Looking right right at you, McNabb.
1: The, the, The key here is that I'm right.
0: Kelly Moore joins us, and we've been looking forward to hearing this story as well. Kelly, what's happening at Churchill High School?
6: Okay, on Friday, I received, or I guess it was late Thursday night, I received an email from a parent of a a young player who's in grade 9 who uh, has intentions of becoming uh, a member of the Churchill High School hockey team uh, that has uh, asked for reinstatement into the Winnipeg High School Hockey League. They've resurrected the program. And I'm going to try to do Cole's Notes version on this for our listeners because we want to get our guests on the air very quickly. Uh, Things were proceeding along. Last May at the AGM, the Winnipeg High School Hockey League, said that Churchill had met all of the requirements and followed the rules and regulations uh, for readmittance. But uh, Churchill wants to go with an all-grade 9 lineup. And this is of concern to Hockey Manitoba, who in talking to their executive director, Peter Woods, had expressed concerns initially about a team of grade 9s, playing against, you know, in a league where there's grade 10 through grade 12 players as well. Uh, So on one side, you have the, and there's no bad person here. I want to make sure that we uh, stress that, but you have Manitoba High School's Athletic Association, who are the governing umbrella for the Winnipeg High School Hockey League. You have Hockey Manitoba, who sanctions uh, all of the rosters because they provide the referees and there's some insurance uh, that's involved as well. So that kind of sets the table. Hockey Manitoba has not sanctioned the roster, so now all of a sudden these grade nine players don't have anywhere to play.
3: Quickly, before we get to our first guest, Kelly, who is driving this decision to have this team as just grade nine players?
6: Uh, basically what it is, it's it's through the uh, Churchill Hockey Academy uh, and, and their coach is Jason Bauer, uh, who has worked in in the minor hockey ranks before. Uh, so th- this was what they, they did have tryouts. They only had four players from grade 10 through grade 12 that tried out. None of them made the team. All right, so
0: Jeff Forte, we've got two guests. I'm going to let you bring them on because I have a tendency to, to drop the ball on that. I'm a little technically clumsy. That's why Forte is behind the board, yeah. and I'm in here. We have with us Chad Falk, who is executive director of the Manitoba High School's Athletic Association, and we have Peter Woods, who is executive director of Hockey Manitoba, joining us now. In our next segment, we'll speak with the principal over at Churchill, Ryan Hughes. Uh, but first, let's say good morning to Chad Falk. Hello, sir. Good morning. And Peter, good morning to you as well. Thank you for joining us. How you doing, guys?
6: Good. So, Chad, let's start with you, uh, because there was a meeting that was held on Friday night uh, to try to uh, see if this uh, situation could be resolved. Uh, what was the crux of that meeting, and, and what was the result of it?
7: Yeah, we had the opportunity to meet with uh, Peter and his uh, his president and myself and, and the president of Manitoba High Schools Athletic Association to try and see if we could kind of hash out an agreement between the two parties um, try to adhere to our current letter of agreement between the two parties, and uh, unfortunately, we don't see we I don't think we can reach uh, an agreement. We seem to interpret our agreement uh, somewhat differently, and uh, I don't think we'll be to date. We haven't had a chance to reach an agreement uh, between the two parties.
1: So, Chad, what does this mean? Does this mean we don't we'll have players that don't get to play hockey this season, or is it too late for them to go somewhere else? What's the concern really amongst the players and parents?
7: You know, the, the concerns amongst the players is that they, they won't have anywhere to play this year, and that's what we're driving to, is, is provide them with that opportunity not only to play high school hockey, but to represent their high school. At the end of the day, that's the crux of what high school sport is about, representing your team, your community, and uh, we're trying to provide that opportunity for them, and uh, We'll we'll keep trying uh, this week to try and make that happen.
6: Peter, uh, what are your concerns about this and why uh, do those concerns result in you not wanting to sanction the roster for Churchill?
8: I think you have to look at the history of how or the genesis of how this team was formed. Initially, they started off with an application to Hockey Manitoba in uh, last December. Um, had indicated that they wanted to operate a sports school. There's a process that you need to go through in order to qualify to operate a sports school. They didn't meet the deadline of October 1st. Uh, the application was not in depth, so that wasn't uh, uh, that was rejected. Uh, they followed up with that with a, a similar concept and wanted to classify it as a prospect a team, which beat operating on the same concept. And unfortunately, that was success- unsuccessful. Uh, further to that, uh, they later pursued in, in April, uh, still along the same uh, same lines uh, thought lines uh, to enter into the high school league. Uh, they had previous Churchill had a team in the high school lo- le- league uh, a few years back, and they're reactivating that. However, they're still running on the same premise with a sports school program and, and identifying that uh, kids are exclusively of 2-4. That's how the – born in two oh four, 4 That's how the program has been marketed. We don't think that's in uh, good conscience and in line with what high school sports is all about. Uh, there is no and 11s, or 12s that will be participating on that team. So that's certainly a concern for, for Hockey Manitoba. My responsibility is certainly to look after the, the rules and regulations of our sport but also at the same time, be the, the conscience, and, the, and glo- I look at programs for a global perspective. Uh, as Chad had indicated, uh, there's uh, uh, we have a differing of views on the interpretation of the high school agreement, uh, and right now we're a bit of a standstill uh, uh, in in that agreement in interpreting that. It's unfortunate that it, that it's come to this, and and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, we can come to some uh, level of agreement down the road. But uh, presently, we're not at that.
6: But Chad, uh, your understanding is that grade nines can play in this league, and that the rules have been have, have all been uh, followed and met.
7: Yeah, we, we currently have an agreement that was made in uh, approximately May 2015. That's the most current version of the agreement. It's published in our handbooks, and uh, there's nothing in the agreement that uh, prohibits grade nines from prohibiting uh, prohibiting their uh, participation in in, in um, High school hockey here in Winnipeg. There are some restrictions that we adhere to for rural uh, hockey for grade nine. And we've seen it in the past. You know, in 2015, we had St. John's Ravens Court have eight grade nines. Uh, every single year, we have anywhere between a dozen to two dozen grade nines competing in the Winnipeg High School Hockey League on various teams. So it is a practice that we've uh, adhered to under the current agreement. And that's why we're, uh, we're a bit surprised now that. Uh, the, uh, the rhetoric has kind of changed.
3: Peter, uh, as, you, as you listen to Chad lay this all out, uh, there's a dramatic difference in my mind uh, between a team that has a handful of grade 9 players versus a team entirely made up of grade 9 players. Is that the crux of the issue for you?
8: well oh, certainly that's a concern for for hockey manitoba that uh you know we have there's seven hundred and fifty odd players that participate in that league and there's been twelve to twenty three that have participated as grade nines over the years uh over the last five years so the numbers are limited unfortunately we uh we have, we had some we get together collectively as a group that's uh hockey Winnipeg Rural manitoba uh m- winnipeg minor uh, ourselves and the m h s w a to review that agreement, but unfortunately we haven't been able to come to an agreement uh, on one on as a meeting and to reviewing that document over the last couple of years. Um, with the grade 9 situation, Chad's accurate in the sense that there's uh, there's limited uh, identification there, and in, in rural Manitoba, we do allow grade set to, to affiliate. Uh, that's only in rural Manitoba. There's a grade 9 discussion that happens every time we get together, and I'm pretty confident that if that was discussed, that one team was going to enter a team completely of grade 9, there wouldn't be support around the table. So, I think that there's one thing to allow a couple of kids to participate on a team to supplement that particular roster, but to to make an entire roster of grade nine, we think is out of line. All right, not in not in the good nature of what the agreement is all about.
0: Peter Woods, Executive Director Hockey Manitoba, and Chad Falk, Executive Director Manitoba High Schools Association. Thank you very much for the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Mackley, McGarry, McNabb,
6: and Moore. Kelly Moore is here, and we're talking about a complicated situation happening at Churchill High School. That's right. Churchill wants to get back into the Winnipeg High School Hockey League. It is being blocked. Uh, at this particular time, by Hockey Manitoba, because the team are all Grade Nines. Ryan Hughes is the principal of Char- uh, Churchill High School, and Ryan, what's your? I don't know if you had a chance to hear Peter and, uh, and Chad Falk just a moment ago, but uh, what's your interpretation of where the hockey program sits at Churchill right now, with respect to getting back into the high school league?
9: Well, I did have a chance to uh, to hear the, the two gentlemen on earlier, and thank you very much for taking an interest in this situation at our school. Um, our, our hockey program started three years ago, it's in grade 7 to 9 currently, and uh, it creates a strong connection between academics and sport, which really adds to our students' engagement in both school and their hockey. Uh, the academy continues to be successfully operated at uh, grade 7, 8, and 9 this year, grade 9 being the first year we've gotten into the high school realm. Uh, we've consistently been trying to add a program in grade 9 for our for our students because it's something that they recognize that they wanted to be part of uh, our students and family have really appreciated the hockey program Uh, It's allowed them to develop their hockey skills. It will be a manageable schedule of games and practices, which will allow more family time for our our players and their families and provide opportunities to get involved in different types of sports or other activities. So the families are very clear that this is something that they really are interested in pursuing. Um, We feel like we have been very transparent since we uh, joined the High School Hockey League again back in uh, April. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about is that the potential was here for a a team that would likely be all of grade 9 students. Uh, High school hockey left Churchill due to uh, lack of interest uh, about four years ago, and the current interest is from our younger students. Uh, So that's one of the reasons that we anticipated the roster being mainly grade 9, and that did come to fruition when we had three other students come out to the tryouts, even though it was open to everybody.
1: Is there a compromise that can be reached here? I know you tried for that on Friday. There was a meeting between Hockey Manitoba and the High School Athletics Association. But at the end of the day, if a compromise or if something's not reached, you've got kids who just aren't going to be able to play. So is there is there a agreement that you could come to where that would be whoever would be OK with and we can move forward to have these kids playing hockey?
9: Well, the key here is that they need to be approved so that uh, the, the roster can be sanctioned. Uh, we've been saying consistently, and MHSWA has been uh, accurate in that information as well, that we have met every requirement of every constitution from Winnipeg High School Hockey, uh, MHSWA, and, and Manitoba Hockey for that matter. And uh, at the last minute, we were, we were told uh, that we would not be, the roster would not be approved. Ironically, that was uh, said even before the roster was even formed.
0: Ryan Hughes, principal at Churchill High School, that's all the time we have. Thank you very much, though, for joining us this morning to shed some light on the story. We appreciate it. My pleasure. 923 on 680 CJOB, and thanks for Kelly Moore for bringing this to our attention. McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we are very excited to introduce or maybe reintroduce you to a couple of ladies that we first met last year on the patio, the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's. We have in studio with us... The proprietors, the creators of the Painter's Cafe, it's a little business in Transcona, Michelle and Angie Zubrin, sisters and co-owners. Good Ooh.
10: morning. Good morning. Thank Hello. you for having us back again.
0: Yeah, nice to see you again. We had so much fun. Uh, it was me and Hal sitting on the patio with you two last year. Greg was away on vacation, but he caught the interview, and Loren also had the opportunity to meet you in the spring. So uh, thanks so much for coming in. So what's new at the Painter's Cafe?
10: Well, we made it through the year. Yay. We had our first anniversary on June 24th. We had an open house, and there was a lot of people that showed up. And a lot of people even remembered our interview with you last summer. It's like, oh, we heard you on CJOB. You guys were a hoot. So obviously (laughs) something's working. So we're still around, and we've been revamping and redoing a bunch of things because we've been listening to you as our customer. What you want. What do you want from the Painters Cafe? We started off with one type of thought process, but that thought process blossomed to someplace else. We still work with doing custom furniture painting. Angie does an amazing job. People are always posting her work. She really takes an effort to do it. We also um, are introducing more projects. We're opening up more evenings to do the more projects. The sign workshops are always booked. We're booking into the middle of November already. Private parties constantly, birthday parties. It's just a lot of fun we're having. Just to remind our listeners, your sisters, you both sort of quit your day jobs a year and
1: a half ago and put it all on the line to start this business. And I think it's important if you've never been in my my parents are entrepreneurs and and you've gone down that road. But you keep saying, yay, we made it to a year. It is a big deal to make it to the year because it's scary to put it all out there like that and, and give up that paycheck and that regular nine to five job and say, "Okay, let's see if we can make this work.
10: That's for sure. Absolutely. We're, you know, like you said, we just said that's enough. Angie was tired of working in a cubicle. I was tired of fighting with my superiors, and not least I can fight with myself and determine who wins. But uh, we're always here at work. Um, we she always, always wins. <laughs> you know
1: what? Maybe we should point out it's even greater that two sisters survived a year together running a right. business.
11: Yeah, and just so you know, I'm only here as Ed McMahon. Like, if she needs some sort of laughter at whatever stupid joke she says, I'm just here for that. She'll just blab away with all the Information and I'm just here to, for support. So you're not—you're not going to hear very much. People from me.
1: can't see it, but she's nodding along, right? right? That's, the, that's the, her support. She's the candle after.
3: <laughs> so how much? How much of your success in any business? I, I think part of what we want to glean from this conversation is—is is some advice for those that are thinking about getting into business. But uh, how much of your success has been just listening to your customers? Because you do have a vision of how you think it should go. I've been down this road myself, and then. You know, people say, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? You know what? Didn't even... Think about trying A, B, or C. Thank well, you very much. We're going to give that a go.
10: Well, absolutely. And and why we think that as well is because, you know, everybody has their own thought process of what they think may work. Me and Angie are very creative, but what we think is good may not really approve to anybody else. So what we've been thinking about is that when we have a project night, we were more or less saying, okay, this is the project you're making. You like it? Great. Now we're going, here is about a dozen different projects you can choose from. Each and every one of our guests that night can choose any project that they wish to have, of course, on our display. And the thing is, now instead of having eight ladies come in and say, well, you know, I really didn't want to do that, so I'm not going to come. But hey, now I can do this as well as you doing that?
11: Perfect. And it it seems, sorry to interrupt, but it seems like with the business model that we had in mind at the start... It's now evolving into different directions as to what our customers are wanting. So what we thought was going to work is is evolving more into these different avenues, whether we want it to or not.
10: Right. We're accommodating.
11: And we find that lots of people just want to do it themselves. So even though I've got the studio filled with furniture and signs, they're coming in and they're looking at my furniture and they're saying, oh, what color is that? And they grab the paint can and away they go. And I'm like, hey, it's for sale this piece of furniture like <laughs> it <I can>.
10: hello <laughs> but, but they want to do it themselves right and our uh, chalk 101 classes are always full people are always still wanting to learn how to paint with the chalk paints um there used to be another company here in the city that had a very um it's a very common paint and no longer can you get that here but with our paints people who are are now jumping ship and they're coming on to the. We call them the fatters now because that's the fat brand of the Arver paints. Very comparable to a very high quality paint but now everybody's coming to our store and they're very happy with the quality of the paints as well as the education that Angie gives on a Tuesday we're introducing milk painting we're introducing a bunch of other techniques so like I said it's like Tuesday through Friday there's going to be a sign night or a project night or uh, learn how to paint your own furniture so that all you have to do is just pretty much go home put down a drop sheet bring out a cup of coffee and have at her and learn and have fun. And everybody that has an old, old, old piece of furniture can now have a brand new old piece of furniture.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm just looking at your website, thepainterscafe.com, and under the spot, uh, hand-painted furniture, it says... Angie is like a shark at an eating frenzy when she starts painting <laughs> furniture. Her eyes roll into the back of her head and she starts drooling with anticipation as to the finished piece. It is so oh, true. Sure.
11: Especially if someone comes in and says, Okay, you have creative license, you could do whatever you want. I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that? And then I
0: just, yes. So what if somebody comes in with an old piece of furniture and they want to do it themselves and get, can you teach them to do that? Or is it just, is it, is that not an option?
11: Oh, it's very exciting to teach them to do it. So we encourage people to take the chalk paint one oh one class on Tuesday night. I teach it. Um, we find you have better success if you actually learn how to do it before you try to tackle it by yourself at home. So after they take the class, they have the option to perhaps bring in a piece and for $30 an hour use all of our product in the studio, plus I'm there on hand if you have any questions. Otherwise, um, you um, you take the class, you take home three sheets of information so you don't have to absorb it all during the
1: class, and then you go home and you start painting. You, I think you mentioned before, Angie, it's fascinating to me that there's this sort of resurgence of people. I think a few years ago, we are all willing to pay someone or pay a business to do things for us, like cook our meals, I'll buy it for you, I'll, I'll buy the finished art project. And now we've come back to people saying, no, I kind of want to have that time at home to myself, where I get to work on something, but I'm not really sure where to start. And so you're tapping into that whole craze where people do want to do things for themselves, but just don't know how to begin.
11: Oh, and because of Pinterest... Everyone will come into the store. I've looked at probably over how many phones. How many phones have we looked at where they (laughs) whip out the phone and they get onto Pinterest? I've saved this. This is what I want. And then we have to look at the uh, dresser that is totally done in blues and whites and whatever. And they want to do that. So we can show them how to do that.
0: So when people come in, then uh, what's the weirdest thing that people have (laughs) brought in?
11: (laughs) Well, we do have Fancy Nancy that is uh, our customer that she has. Uh, she'll, she'll bring in spool tables, those hydro spool tables, and she'll want something crazy painted on top of it for her deck. Um, people have brought in um, church pews.
10: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, drop wow. that off. Where are
1: they getting? You know what? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs>
11: Oh, um, there's just
10: a variety of different things that people bring in, and whether it be in an old Ikea table or even that moment, it's like, can you paint this? And it's like, sure. We'll do our best, and it usually always turns out quite well.
1: So this, I like to hear this because I'm not a do-it myself or do-it-yourselfer. So I, <laughs> so I can bring in something and just say, make this better. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good.
3: And, is, and and can you give us a? I know you, um, if you had a little coffee table or something, a standard coffee table, and and we let uh, Angie loose on it. What what you know? Uh, how much money should I set aside? Oh, Uh, well. But like a low-end and a high-end budget, like kind of give us a range. How
11: thick is your wallet? (laughs) Well. (laughs) Okay. Um, What we're finding is um, people don't really want to pay too much.
3: No way. In Winnipeg? (laughs) No, no, no. no. Anywhere. Anywhere. It's not just Winnipeg.
11: Okay. So like... um, we We painted a dress, or I painted a dresser with what's what's her name again? that fancy um Audrey Hepburn. okay Ooh, did her uh, a complete face on the front of a dresser with sparkles in her bubbles and stuff like in her bubble gum. It was three seventy five for that for a custom painting
3: there you go. that 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 with. sounds like it would be it would be something that would be pretty spectacular,
10: yeah, mm-hmm.
3: at that price, for sure.
10: I guess it all depends on the ornate of the piece itself how big the piece is, So whenever somebody phones us up and say, at least take a picture, give us the dimensions Mm -hmm. so that we know what we're looking at. Like a queen size board can look like a twin size in a picture. We don't know that. You just got to give us our dimensions. We will put a small coat to you. And if you want it to be really embellished with some distressing or some fancy waxing or even some color layering, more than just one color, like a sleek and clean look, then we could add some more colors to give more dimension. Oh, Angie wants to say something. I was just
11: going to say, if I have a chance to just spew here for 30 seconds. Seconds about um, um, okay yes I can paint all the fancy little sleek and and clean dressers and whatever for people's bedrooms and guest bedrooms but if I had my chance to my passion is to paint crazy
7: off
10: stuff the
11: wall. on furniture so I've painted the Beatles logo I painted um, um, Castrol oil Castrol oil logo any vintage. Um, um, Route 66 signs, Route 66 signs, like whatever. I love the vintage, the raw, the very rustic. I, I work with lots of uh, dark waxes to make things look very, very vintage and old. So if I, if anyone's out there who can who want something really cool painted on a piece of furniture so it's more of a piece of art in their room, I would love the challenge.
1: guess it's the canvas to you, right? It like is. it's a blank canvas. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean, I, I, this is a, not obviously the same thing, but I remember when I went in to get a tattoo about 20 years ago, it was at the height of what was uh, known as the tribal art craze, yes. where people right. get armbands or, or something very specific. And I went in with a statue, a little ornament of a gargoyle, and said, can you... Do something with this? Yes. And his eyes popped out of his head because he got to actually be an artist. That's right. And be creative. And he he came up with a design that was inspired by it. And uh, he said, do you like it? I said, I love it. Let's go. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure he gave me a, a deal as well. So... Do you, okay. Do you do that? Do you give I a deal? I could do a deal, yeah. just
11: for you. Maybe a gargoyle on a dresser. Okay, I can paint a gargoyle. Well, not necessarily that, but I, I,
0: I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to that. doesn't sound
1: enthused about
0: no. this. Oh, I do yeah. That's
10: exciting. My dad used to be a commercial sign painter. He's retired now, but he's having so much fun coming into our store, and he looks at me and my sister, Angie, and he goes, I can't believe it, my girls are now sign painters. Mm-hmm. So not only does Angie do the custom um, what's it called, furniture, she makes amazing hand-painted signs and Oh, I know she's going to hate me for this, but I say it all the time. <laughs> I said, Angie paints her signs with a coffee cup in one hand and a paintbrush in another. And it's all freehand. And I still don't m- understand what that means. It <laughs> oh,
1: means you're super talented with the one hand. She's complimenting right. you, I think, and it's saying you have a coffee addiction at the cake. same time. Piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
10: but she coffee. does an amazing, amazing custom signs. I mean, we're bringing back the old wood vintage look. That's why Angie says that she loves to paint the old, old rustic stuff. We can do this on custom signs. It's just, she's just an amazing artist.
0: Painterscafe.com is the website. You can actually see the the Castrol sign uh, underneath. If you go to the We Paint tab and the hand painted furniture, you can see it there, along with all kinds of other great examples of their work and pictures of the shop, which is located where, Michelle?
10: (laughs) 2089 Plessy Road, right at the corner of Grassy Boulevard.
0: And again, painterscafe.com. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Angie and Michelle Zubern, thanks for popping by for another visit. What a real pleasure to see you two again. Oh, thank you for having us
10: again. It's cool.
0: The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.